Omajana Trimanandasya Janajana Salakaya Chakshon Militanyina Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha So good evening. We're continuing our discussion of the Bhagavat Sandarbha, Srila Jiva Goswami's laying the groundwork for who's God, what's God, what's he about. So he has begun with some pul- preliminaries and now he's giving us three basic items the first of which is what is the qualification to know Bhagavan. To give us that qualification, he's uh, provided two verses from the Srimad Bhagavatam as to who's qualified, what is the means of qualification for self-realization of the Supreme Personality. So his qualification here is a little more specific as to realization of the Supreme as the Supreme Person, the qualification for understanding the Supreme as Brahman or as Paramatma is a little different than understanding the Supreme as Bhagavan. The first verse he quoted in relationship to qualification was uh, the first verse that speaks to the revelation of Srila Vyasudeva. This is from the first canto, seventh chapter. In his pure heart, which was established in perfect fixity through yoga of unalloyed devotion, Bhakti Yogena, he Vyas saw the original complete person, Purna Purusha, along with his external energy, Maya, which is apart from yet supported by him. Bhakti Yogena Manasi is the significant point here. His Vyas was able to have his revelation in samadhi through bhakti yoga. Now in the next Anacheda, Srila Jiva Goswami again quotes from the Srimad Bhagavatam the same idea but now in regards to the revelation of Lord Brahma. Now from the third canto, ninth chapter of the Bhagavatam. O Master, this is Brahma speaking, you take your seat in the lotus heart that has been made worthy of you through love, praying. Even so, the way to reach you can be understood through hearing. Out of kindness toward your devotees, O Lord, you are greatly glorified. You take the very form that they meditate on, appearing to them in that form. So a little bit more specifics now, Jiva, is by quoting this verse of Lord Brahma, a little bit more specifics as to Bhagavan and his revelation. He reveals himself in the heart of one who has prayed for him in the specific form for which that prayer has been developed. Qualification. Qualification is bhakti yogena, praying bhakti specifically and specifically for a particular form or manifestation of the Supreme Lord in his completeness as it's heard. So hearing is the key. Now we went on from that to an explanation of, well, what is that realization going to be like? So in order to convey what that realization is going to be like, Jeeva Goswami relays the revelation as experienced by Lord Brahma. 
This is actually the third revelation that's been used as an example by Jiva Goswami. The first being, well, in order to recognize what is knowable, we can look to the Samadhi of Srila Vyasudeva. So Srila Vyasudeva's Samadhi is, is explained in four verses in the Bhagavatam. But it's not only just his Samadhi, what he experienced in Samadhi, but the fact that that Samadhi corresponded to Sambandha Abhideya and Prayojan of his understanding. So there was more there. He saw not only the Supreme Lord, he saw the Jiva, he saw the plight of the Jiva, and he saw the remedy for that situation. Then also the revelation of Srila Sukadeva Goswami himself coming in response to simply hearing some select verses from the Bhagavatam. So now we have in the explanation in the Bhagavatam of Brahma's realization just at the beginning of the creation he also had a revelation but his revelation is a lot more detailed. And Jiva is using that in order to let us have some insight into a deep realization of the Supreme Lord in all of his majesty. Srila Vyasadeva's revelation was more centered upon specifically his necessity at the time. His necessity at the time was he had to enter into samadhi, he was dissatisfied, and following his spiritual master's instructions, the result of his samadhi was a revelation of the Supreme Lord as needed in order to properly perform his service. So his revelation was specifically in regards to his service. Now this revelation to Lord Brahma is more also related to his service, of course, in creating the universe, but as it's relayed, what he actually experienced is relayed in more detail. By utilizing these verses, Jiva is not only revealing to his students what did Brahma experience, but he's also relating to the student don't be confused about this revelation. So specifically tonight, he's going to discuss a little bit in his Anucheta. Again, this is still the 10th Anucheta. The 10th Anucheta is extremely large because it deals with Brahma's entire realization. And in that entire realization is relayed in 10 and a half shlokas in the Bhagavatam. Specifically here, what's being dealt with is don't be confused by what Brahma experienced in his revelation. Specifically, don't be confused like the Advaitins. The Acharya preaches according to his time, his place, his circumstance specifically, and a lot of what Jiva presents in his Sandarbhas is to refute 
the prominent Sankar Acharya threads of consciousness that ran through the Society of Transcendentalists at his time. Jiva again specifically picks up this point, this point of understanding that the material manifestation that we experience is not simply an imposition, it's not simply a vritti on Brahman, that it's actually a shakti of the supreme para-Brahman. So tonight we begin with understanding what does it mean when we say sattva, what is being said there, and how do we distinguish the sattva of the supreme and the sattva as experienced within the material modes, sattva, rajas, and tamas, which are always in competition within the material realm. Markandeya Rishi, in speaking to Sri Narayan in the 12th canto, he speaks a few verses, and I'm going to read Jiva Goswami's summarization of those verses, because it'll bring, it'll become a catalyst from which we can go in deeper to this discussion. The spirit of these verses is as follows. So Jiva's already quoted the verses. The spirit of these verses is as follows. O Lord, O Supreme Master, although the gunas of Sattva, Rajas, and Thomas are your divine play enacted to the agency of Maya, your external potency, for the sake of creating, maintaining, and annihilating this world, Nonetheless, it is your divine play in Satvagun that brings peace and per- perpetual joy, not that performed by the potencies of Rajas and Thomas. It is not just that these others, lower gunas, simply lack peace, they yield undesirable effects. This is indicated by the words, Yasana moha viba, misfortune, bewilderment, and fear. Sri Bhagavan then asked Markandeya, Is it popularly thought that my body is composed of sattvagun? Does that not mean it is also a product of maya? So here the supreme Bhagavan is questioning the sage. Well, does this mean that my body's sattvagun? Isn't that popular in the world today that my body's sattvagun? Markandeya replies, No, no. Your devotees, sattvata, referring to the devotee, consider that sattva that constitutes your form as the purusha and that also reveals the Vaikuntha planets to have the characteristics of fearlessness and spiritual joy the very essence of the joy of the Supreme Brahman. It is not the other sattva that is a product of material nature. This discourse in the Bhagavatam is making it apparent that there is a wide distinction between the sattva of sattva, rajas, and tamas within the material realm and the pure sattva which constitutes the form of the Supreme Bhagavan. 
And that distinction is one that these can be easily understood by us, that Visuddha Sattva is the Sarup Shakti. It's the Lord's internal potency that manifests his form. Markandeya Rishi is dissipated for Narayan, <laughs> who's asked the question, this misconception. This is an important point, specifically when it comes to correcting the misconception, the misunderstanding that's put forth by the Mayavadis. That the Lord's form is material. When we talk again, we have to understand the distinction between the Mayavadis. They apply their own interpretation to the Vedas and the Brahmavadis, who also have the same goal the Brahmavadis will reach it, the Mayavadis will not reach it. What's so significant about that? Well, you can't give your own interpretation to the holy name, and you can't give your own interpretation to the Shastra. This is the fault. The Mayavadis think that the whole material manifestation is an imposition upon Brahman. Well, of course, that non-dual absolute cannot have potencies. That's their main misconception, that the Supreme Brahman, that non-dual absolute, vadanti tat tat vavidas tat vam yajjanam advayam, jnana advayam, that non-dual substance, that all-pervading consciousness that can be realized. Although it's non-dual, it manifests itself according to the mentality of the worshiper as Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Subjate. Now the Brahmavadi, he understands that the Lord can manifest in three forms, but he's attracted his, well, say his heart, but we'd have a hard time saying heart. Because heart to us designates bhakti and prame and exchange. But the Brahmavadi, his, he's content with that non-dual absolute, free of any qualifiers, no vrittis. So he's not a beautiful blue boy who plays a flute and dresses gorgeously and attracts the gopis. He manifests at that, there the Brahmavadi can accept. The Supreme Brahman can manifest, and we need to worship that manifestation in order to reach our ultimate goal. Again, right after the Vedanti taught verse, the next verse in the Bhagavatam tells us we must perform bhakti to reach any of these realizations, Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. Jiva writes in this Anucheta, pure sattva, pure sattva, visuddha sattva, is a particular function. It is a vritti, but it's a vritti of the internal potency, the chit shakti, that allows us to perceive the otherwise imperceptible supreme supra-mundane sphere. 
And now I'll just explain how we need to understand sattva as the gunas of material nature and what its function is. Sattva gives us comprehensive knowledge and understanding of what we can perceive within the material realm. In other words, it illuminates what's perceptible to us on the material realm. It lets us understand things. But Sattva will never reveal the Supreme Absolute. It will let us infer, we can apply our knowledge of what we can experience to the Supreme Absolute, and that's certainly helpful. So the example given here for our understanding of this concept is if we look to the gunas themselves, Thomas, Rajas, Sattva, we can understand from our situation, from our environment, that we're influenced by these modes of material nature. Sometimes we're inert, sometimes we're active, sometimes we're contemplative. The modes influence us. And we have a hard time controlling the way we're influenced by the modes. But the modes are there. Although we cannot control them, and we did not create them, we're influenced by them. From that we can infer there must be a personality who manifested the modes and who's not influenced by the modes. Thus we can, we can imagine, we can infer a conception of the, some of the qualities of the Supreme Absolute. That gives us an insight into what is Sattva Goon. It provides knowledge of what we have direct experience of. It dissipates misconceptions that we may have in regards to what we experience. And it allows us, through contemplation, to have some insight into what could be the Supreme Absolute. We can either be influenced by Thomas, Rajas, Sattva, they all have different influence. Lord Krishna has pretty elaborately laid out those influences in his discussion with Arjuna. So we can study there in Bhagavad Gita how the modes, how they influence us under certain circumstances and what, what, what actions and activities and mentalities are in the mode of ignorance or passion, or goodness. That's sattva goon. And what will we never find in the material realm as far as sattva goon? It's never pure. We're never going to find in the material realm unalloyed sattva goon. No visuddha sattva exists on the material plane. What is Visuddha Sattva then? Visuddha Sattva is 
self-illuminating. It requires no outside influence. It's self-revealing. It's pure, unadulterated consciousness. That's the distinction between material and spiritual sattva. Spiritual sattva is completely pure. It's not adulterated. There is no Rajas and Thomas there. And being self-revealing, it can come into the material realm at its own discretion, in its own way. And we hear from the great sages that it comes primarily for us in the form of sound vibration. And that sound vibration, it's a revelation to us. We can hear that sound vibration and being self-illuminating, it can reveal itself. We can chant the holy name of the Lord and it is non-different from the Lord. The Lord can manifest its form at his own discretion at any time, independent of any outside influence. Material sattva can only prepare the path, providing some indeterminate, generalized conception. We can infer something as to what is spiritual in sattvagun. Rajas were too tied up in our own creative, our passion to enjoy. And Thomas, well, not much going for us in Thomas. Going on to the next Anucheta, we'll actually read the verses from the Bhagavatam here. So much is revealed in these verses regarding Brahma's revelation of the Supreme in regards to Visuddha Sattva. There's a whole lesson in there. This is Brahma. He's seeing Vaikuntha. And he's speaking about what he's experiencing. In that personal abode of Bhagavan, the material gunas of Thomas and Rajas do not exist. Nor does Sattva, in which there is an admixture of these. So there's not no Sattva goon that's tainted there. So you can look at all the gunas that you're familiar with and none of those exist in that realm that I perceived, that I realized. Nor is there any influence of time. What to speak of maya? No time, no maya, no modes of material nature. The residents there are worshipable by both devas and asuras. Jiva says, well, wait, a doubt can arise here. If there is no material gunas in Vaikuntha, how can there be variety? Isn't it the gunas that create variety? So Jeeva's asking the question. That's a valid question because all the variety in this world comes from the, the mixture and the interaction of the modes of material nature. So you're talking about an atmosphere where there is no influence of the modes of material nature. You say there's no Rajas, there's no Thomas, and there's no Sattva, and there's no time, and there's no Maya. Maya means illusion. That means giving an illusion, giving an impression of something. Jiva goes on, the god Sura, 
are produced from Satvagun. It's coming back to this plane. While the anti-gods, Asuras, are born of the gunas of Rajas and Tamas. That the devotees of Sri Hari are worshipped by both means that they are distinguished from both to the highest degree as they are transcendental to the gunas of material nature. Jeeva's making the point. All the residents there that we're accustomed to, we're accustomed in our plane of existence to different personalities, both the godly and the ungodly. But in that realm, everybody is worshipable by those that we would consider godly or ungodly. Now the next verse from the Bhagavatam, Brahma speaking, the inhabitants of Vaikuntha have brilliant blue complexions and their eyes are expanded like the petals of a lotus flower. Arrayed in yellow garments, their bodily features are exceedingly attractive and tender. They all have four arms and are elegantly decorated with pearl necklaces embellished with ornamental medallions. Thus, they are radiant with effulgence. Some of the residents appear as lustrous as coral. Others shimmer like lapis lazuli. And yet others have complexions as soft and delicate as lotus fiber. They wear dazzling earrings and garlands while their heads are crowned. Goes on in the next verse. Just as the sky looks very beautiful when decorated with lightning and clouds, so are the Vaikuntha planets resplendent with the beauty of the brilliant airplanes belonging to the noble and distinguished residents, combined with the lustrous complexions of the best of damsels. The beautiful goddess of fortune endowed with her own transcendental form is in attendance at the Lord's lotus feet, respectfully serving him with her own opulence in many ways. Boarding on a swing and being glorified by the black bees, the attendants of spring, she sings of the activities of her beloved Lord. The description continues. There in the Vaikuntha planet, Sri Brahma saw Sri Bhagavan, guardian of his faithful and devoted followers, Lord of the Goddess of Fortune, Lord of all sacrifices and Lord of the universe, the omnipotent Lord, was being served by his foremost associates like Nanda, Sunanda, Prabhala, and Arhana. A thousand years of celestial meditation really paid off for Brahma. <laughs> we'll see that Krishna was so pleased and Brahma was so in love with Krishna. And then, not only does he give him this vision of the spiritual world of Vaikuntha, of his own personal form, but he goes on immediately afterwards to give him the entire Srimad Bhagavatam in four nutshell verses. After this revelation, then the whole Bhagavatam. Now, Brahma's already meditated, as I said, a thousand celestial years. And then he gets the revelation. Then the exchange of love between he and Krishna is there. And then the complete revealing of the contents of the Bhagavatam. It's only four verses in our Bhagavatam, 
Vyasadeva expanded those four verses into 18,000 verses so we can begin to have some comprehension of what was spoken. That's called an extended purport. (laughs) Krishna served in Vaikuntas by his most intimate devotees and Brahma is entering into that specifically. And as we go on, Jiva's going to reveal some more about Brahma's revelation. We're going to continue to read from the revelation of Brahma. Brahma saw that the four-armed Bhagavan, Sri Hari, was eager to bestow his favor upon his devoted servants. Thus, the delightful, soothing glance from his dawn-hued lotus eyes acted like an intoxicating spiritus liquor. Crowned with a diadem and with glittering pendants, swinging from his earlobes, he was dressed in shimmering yellow garments, his chest decorated with the golden lines representing the goddess of fortune, Sri Lakshmiji. The Lord presided over the assembly while seated on a magnificent throne surrounded by his different energies, the four, the sixteen, and the five. He was endowed with his own opulences, which, though sometimes seen in other people, are not permanent. Thus was the Supreme Lord delighting in his own abode. A little purport here, when we talk about the uh, the four, the sixteen, the five, Jiva Goswami points out that these refer to the the protectors of the directions that surround the Supreme Lord. When we talk about the 16, we're talking about there's two guards at each gate. We're aware of two of them, which were at the western gate of Vaikuntha, Jaya and Vijaya. Also, there's a guard in between the gates, So that's another four. So that's twelve, and then there's the other directions. And also the point being made that these shaktis, these opulences of the Supreme Lord, are bestowed upon. The Lord freely gives these opulences, but they're not like his opulences, which are his very self. They are bestowed, so in this verse it refers to them as being non-permanent. So that would be, refer to those opulences as they're provided to somebody within the material realm. Again, this 10th Anocheta is entirely dealing with Brahma's revelation. For our digestion, it's been broken up into subsections. So this final subsection. Sri Brahma, graced with this vision of the Supreme Person in his fullness, found his heart overwhelmed with joy, his body in transcendental ecstasy, and his eyes filled with tears of love. Thus did the architect of the universe bow down before the lotus feet of Bhagavan, which are attained by treading the path traversed by Paramahansas. Seeing the most 
ingenious Brahma, present before him, showing him such love, the Lord accepted him as worthy to bring forth living beings under his supervision. Pleased at heart and moved by love for the one who loved him, the beloved Lord touched Brahma's hands and spoke to him with words illuminated by a radiant smile. Jiva Goswami raises a doubt. One could doubt that Sri Krishna was the one that Brahma had contact with because we're talking about experience with, within the material realm. Wouldn't that be the Supreme Purusha, Lord Vishnu? Why not accept that this was Sri Vishnu, the Purusha? Sri Sukadev says that the reason Sri Krishna appeared was his excessive love for his devotee. Priya, Bhagavan is controlled by his devotee's love. That corresponds with the earlier Anucheta, where it's explained that the Lord appears to his devotee in the form that the devotee has meditated upon, has conceived of. Brahma's love, our Brahma, in this universe, at this time, in this circumstance, is a devotee of Lord Sri Krishna, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. In the verse, there's adjectives to, to also exemplify this love. Priyamanam, showing him such love, and Pritamana, pleased at heart, indicate the excessive delight the Lord felt at that moment due to these mutual loving feelings. The Lord expressed his feelings by his radiant smile and by touching hands. We'll conclude tonight with Jiva's conclusion regarding Brahma's revelation. Who exactly did Brahma experience? We'll start with a verse from the Brahma Samhita. Jiva Goswami quotes, When the time was instigated by the potency of Bhagavan, Sri Brahma learned in the four Vedas and possessing four heads took birth from the lotus sprouting from the Lord's navel. After his birth, Brahma turned his mind to the work of creation under the impulse of previous impressions. It's not that he was a little baby on the lotus. He was fully Brahma at that time. He had impressions. What did he have impressions of? He didn't have any bad. Hundred years of perfect life. No mistakes, no misconceptions, no sin for a hundred lives. But he saw only darkness in every direction. He had the impulse from the impressions to do something, but there's nothing there. Then the goddess of learning, Sarasvati, said the following to Brahma, O Brahma, this mantra... Klim Krishnaya Govindaya Gopijana Balavaya Swaha will assuredly fulfill your heart's desire. Practice penance by means of this mantra 
and you will attain all perfection. Thus Brahma, desirous of pleasing the imperishable Govinda, began penances that continued for a very long time. So here it says that he got his mantra from Saraswati. And we find in the Gopal Tapati Upanishad that in the mantra is all the specifics of not only a relationship with the Supreme, but the specifics as to the manifestation of the material realm. If you chant and understand, you could become a Brahma, if you so desired, from this mantra. You could create your own universe, if you were so charged. Bhagavan is realized by treading the path of Bhagavat Paramahansas. Again, we made the distinction between the Jnani Paramahansa and the Bhagavat Paramahansa. The intent of their worship is different. So the Lord was convinced of Brahma's obedience, a thousand years of perfect meditation, and he endowed him with the necessary potency to perform his duty in the creation. He was also very pleased with Brahma. He knew that that Brahma would create the universe the way he wanted it created. He meaning Krishna wanted it created. He'd follow his lead, in other words. Jiva goes on to show that the revelation of Brahma was that of Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna as we've come to know him, the sweetheart of Raj. And he uses some evidences here. Brahma has his own Samhita. And at the end of the verses of his Samhita, what does he say? Govindam Adi Purusham Tamaham Bajami. Also, in the Gopal Tapani Upanishad, Brahma speaks of how the Lord appeared before him. Gopavesho me. Gopavesh. Dressed up like a cowherd boy. That's how he appeared before me. And at the conclusion of the Bhagavatam itself, the very last chapter, Sutta Goswami says the following, I meditate on the Supreme Absolute Truth, who enlightened Brahma on the wisdom of Srimad Bhagavatam. Satyam Param Dimahi. Satyam Param Dimahi can only designate Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So this section, this one Anocheta, has given us the following conclusions. The personal form of Bhagavan is only realized by the devotees. Vaikuntha is a manifestation of pure sattva or visuddha sattva. Pure sattva is the internal potency of Bhagavan. It's both transcendental and conscious. We also could use the nomenclature Swarup Shakti. The material gunas are always mixed, thus pure unmixed mundane sattva, free of rajas and tamas, does not exist in the material world. So 
So the closest we're going to get to transcendental revelation is simply an inference. We can think it might be like this. But experiential self-realization, self-revelation has to be descending from the transcendental realm. Vaikuntha is full of transcendental variety. Finally, it was Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, who spoke Srimad Bhagavatam in the four seed verses to Sri Brahma. So we've talked about qualification tonight. We've talked about realization. And next Anocheta will give us what are the actual characteristics of Bhagavan. Are there any questions? Yes. Um, perhaps I misunderstood or heard you wrong, but about what Brahma was seeing and that he described the Lord with four arms. Mm-hmm. But then you said he saw Krishna in the dress of a cowherd boy. Yes. This is an easy way to reconcile it, like the vision of, of Mother Yasoda looking into the mouth of Krishna okay. to see if he'd eaten dirt. She saw everything. She saw the entire material universe and the entire... She, there's nothing in that vision she did not apprehend, correct? That's the way it's written. Similarly, although the Bhagavatam verses speak to the Vaikuntha atmosphere, they seem to allude to that, well, that would certainly be there and that would be included in Revelation of Raj also. There's nothing that's not in Vraj. That helps us have some insight. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna.